Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomass for episode 241. Glad you could join us. We have a, a couple topics, but they're pretty big this week. So let's get started with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Soraya Zell. Hello, I am Soraya Zell and I am not dead. I am, I am, I'm here this week. So, um, hi. Uh, I know you guys talked about a bunch of stuff that I saw, but um, yeah, shout out to uh, the Spider-Man movie in particular. Aquaman was pretty good, etc. All right, and Jay, you're up. Hi, my name's Jay. I am also alive, and uh, I would like to give a shout out to Zell for showing up and being alive. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm also one of the co-hosts here on Biomass, and uh, welcome, and I appreciate you guys listening to us again drawn on for uh, an hour or two. It's awesome. All right, and Livy. Hello, I'm Livy, and I am very glad that uh, Zell is not dead, and he is here, and I am here, and I'm really alive today, so yay. That sounds like the, the work of caffeine. I am so hyper right now. <laughs> that, that is accurate in, in that uh, she was on comms in, in uh, Destiny earlier, and you could literally hear the cure making. <laughs> <laughs> it's my blood flow. All right, and I am Pokey Draven. I do help the host the show here, and I do a lot of YouTube stuff for the channel. But uh, yeah, glad to be here. I I need to ask one quick question of clarification for your introduction. Are you in fact alive? Because everybody else uh, let us know. It depends. Like tomorrow's Monday, so yeah, I'll be mostly dead tomorrow and probably through like Thursday or so. But right now, I'm pretty good. I'm alive right now. He dies okay. slowly as Monday approaches. Yeah, after the show, it's just like an agonizing slow death until I have to wake up and, and join the workforce again like a responsible adult. So anyways, we have, uh, like I said, a couple, couple, really one major thing to talk about. One thing I wanted to kind of go over before we get to the kind of the bigger gaming news. Uh, so, I don't know, like maybe a month ago, Livy and I reviewed two of the CGI Godzilla movies that were um, kind of Netflix originals put on by polygon pictures which is a, a really cool studio that does a lot of good work but my review of the first two films was uh, kind of lukewarm uh wasn't huge huge fan like they were kind of like below average but the third one came out so this is godzilla the planet eater and Livy and i had the misfortune of watching this movie uh last night with my brother so kind of along the same thread of the first two films it had some interesting concepts in it. Like, and that's probably the most frustrating part is that there was some really good ideas in it. But unfortunately, I think a lot of the problems with the series really started to bear its teeth in the third and final film of this trilogy. Mostly that the main character is just an unlikable asshole, I've decided. Um, he's just, you know, there's a lot of character problems with this one and a lot of plot points that just feel a little rushed. Honestly, the film was, was pretty okay for for the majority of it. Um, but I think the biggest problem is, is that it ran about eight minutes longer than it should have because it reaches kind of, I won't spoil anything, but it kind of reaches a conclusion and it kind of goes through like an ending montage of what you would kind of expect, like, you know, a film to do after its its climax. You know, it's about 15 minutes, whatever. And then it just kind of keeps going past that and manages to crash and burn, like, in the most spectacular way possible. Um, so if I were to suggest anyone to watch this movie, and I probably wouldn't, but let's see you subject yourself to it. 
if it feels like it's a good time to stop, but you got about like eight and a half minutes left, just stop the movie and don't ruin the film with the last bit for yourself. It it was bad. Like I was angry. Like I was like, oh, okay, it was it was it was decent, and then it just kept going. And I'm like, I think we should stop. And then it kept going. I'm like, oh, we should have stopped. It's 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 ruined now. So, um, yeah. What do you think, Libby? I mean, I think you said it. I I liked it until the last 10 minutes and I didn't want to watch that movie <laughs> because I said it was going to be terrible. I knew it. I'm but bad. no, it, it wasn't all the way bad. It was the it was the way they chose to end it and I don't know if that's was their way of trying to get another episode out, which I don't know. I have words for it. It's just because the main character it could have been like a cool redemption arc and it just turned into him being an asshole for no reason at all. Like it was completely unnecessary for them to frame him in that way at the end. And I, I'm not sure if they're trying to go to make it look better than it was, but it would have been better if they had just stopped at, at where, you know, like, I don't want to spoil it, but they should have stopped it at, at a certain point. So yeah, no, the, the film trilogy is solidly below average. It would probably rank lower if it didn't have some really good concepts in it. Um, the I'll call it cinematography, but the way that they they've presented it's it's cel shaded CGI, but it's actually really really well done. And this is from a studio that has made some other works. I'm a huge fan of like uh, Ajin and uh, Knights of Sidonia are fantastic series that I would suggest watching on Netflix. Um, even their movie Blame was 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 pretty decent, and they've definitely evolved their visual style, and it's very it's very good now. And I actually hope that they will return and continue this the, the stories I liked with the stuff they've learned with how to, you know, develop the style. But uh, yeah, the, the Godzilla trilogy just, ugh, it, it was it's not great. So I probably wouldn't suggest it, but if you're a huge kaiju uh, fan, um, you could give it a go. Uh, like I said, the, the art style is great. Normally I like their work, but I wasn't a fan of this one. So if you want to see a cool art style, check out the other stuff they've done, but I'd probably steer clear of this one. So... I'm sorry, Jay, you trying to say something? Yeah, just a, just a quick question. So, I, I, having not seen this and only heard you guys talk about it, is this like a manga style or is this something different? Uh, I'm trying to think of a good comparison that you would probably recognize. Um, it's, it's, it's an anime style, but it's all CGI, but they've really kind of leaned into kind of a cel-shaded look to it. So it's not like, you know crappy anime cgi like you might think it's actually kind of more of a unique style and it's it looks really good but it is an anime i would argue it's an anime in that regard okay so anyways uh moving along come to our, our our main topic and we'll probably fill the rest of the show with with discussion about this joyous and interesting development so uh destiny 2 is developed by bungie as i'm sure you're all aware but it is published by activision blizzard and there's been a lot of controversy in the last year or so about, you know, monetization and, you know, publishers pushing, you know, themselves onto developers more and, and trying to enforce a lot of uh, some scummy business practices. And I'd say it's probably fair that the general consensus is that Activision Blizzard has a lot of problems with, you know, 
uh, how it conducts business and that sort of thing. And, and people felt that a lot of the issues that were in Destiny 2 were at least in part due to influence from Activision trying to, you know, make Destiny produce more money and, and make more money for shareholders and that sort of thing. So they, they weren't hugely popular with the fan base in, in general. So this last week, it came out that Bungie is splitting away from Activision and that in an odd turn of events, Bungie is actually retaining all of the rights to the Destiny franchise and just leaving Activision, which is unusual because usually when a developer leaves, the publisher owns the rights and keeps the rights. So this is already kind of weird. Um, but in general, the community has taken it with with cheers. I believe that actually when it was announced at Bungie, uh, the employees were cheering and popping champagne because there's been a lot of frustration and tension between Bungie and Activision for the last uh, eight years or so um, since the beginning of kind of the Destiny franchise, Destiny 1. So it's a very interesting situation. And I was just kind of curious in your guys' thoughts about all of it and, and, you know, what you think it means for you know, Activision Blizzard, what it means for Bungie, and what it means for the Destiny franchise moving forward. Well, one thing I want to I want to point out before we get too deep into into Destiny is this is very interesting coming from the fact that um, I'm a you know I'm a Blizzard games player. I play a lot of Heroes of the Storm. I play um, a bit of Overwatch, some World of Warcraft. There's been a huge amount of drama in the Blizzard side community about Activision's business unit taking a more active role in blizzards management as well um uh so my main game is here's the storm they actually announced that they were um a couple weeks ago they announced that they were uh downsizing the team significantly um that they were going to slow the release cadence they're moving developers off to to uh other projects uh and canceling their whole esports uh team all pretty much at one time and then uh obviously there was the diablo mobile game fiasco and uh, just just a lot of cases where um, people have really talked about Blizzard starting to uh, disappoint the community more and that they feel that that is Activision's influence. So this is a very interesting read um, to see very much the same side coming out of Destiny. Yeah, no, I think that's a great catch, though. The, there's a couple other things. I mean, the um, you, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of unsaid things right now. Uh, one of the things they did they did point out was that uh, it sounds like it's going to stay on the blizzard launcher, I believe, which I think is the Activision base launcher. I'm not sure how that works, but that was one of the things that was mentioned. Well, that's specifically, they said destiny two would remain on the blizzard launcher, which, which doesn't really surprise me because it's already released and it's been out for years and it would be hard to change everyone's accounts over. I don't know. I, I didn't see anything suggesting that the next destiny title would still be on the blizzard launcher yeah no i think that's fair and and like i said I, I i there's a whole lot of things just not said right now um so a couple a couple things as we kind of wind this back some of the bigger news in recent years recent being last decade uh in the video game industry you know frankly bungie has been kind of party to a couple of them this being one of them this is a fairly major deal with a title uh with a studio like bungie that is sort of part and parcel of something as big as Destiny um, parting ways with Activision, which they have done before because you guys, because everybody, you know, as they, as they well know, they have, they were the studio that was you know, generally the thing 
were the thing that that brought Halo. They were the studio that brought Halo out, which was, I, I would argue, um, the game that really launched what we would now refer to as kind of the modern gaming sort of culture. Um, and then they parted ways with Microsoft. That was massive at the time. Uh, this is not too different. Now, what's interesting is I don't, I don't think that there's a move that Bungie's going to make where they're going to hook up with another, uh, another large publisher anytime soon. I think their, their clear goal is that they want to publish on their own, uh, which opens itself up to a whole lot of other things, uh, at the time. So, so there's a lot to unpack with this, but uh, from a, a business standpoint, like literally just a, how things shake out in the gaming universe from a business standpoint, this is not to be sneezed at. Uh, so from, to your point though, a little earlier, Activision has, has been in a really rough run here, here recently. Their stocks are way, way down. Uh, they've been going down even before the, the announce of destiny. And, and a lot of the major game studios are really taking it on the chin in the last 18 months. Between them and EA, uh, they are, you know, kind of leading the league with bad news right now. Which well, is these are. Interesting. I yeah, I think you said studios and developers, and these are these are definitely the big publisher publisher houses that are they're taking the hit. And I, I I think a big part of that is I think that the the industry has changed massively in the last, you know, what ten years, and you know, like back in the day, your your publisher was there to put your you know put your discs through a manufacturing process and and put boxes in stores you know and and even to consoles that's so much less of an important thing than it used to be and there's you know between dealing with digital releases and 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 with Sony and Microsoft and and even the fact that now you know you've got Steam and Epic and various various stores that you can just upload your game to and release it I think I think these publishers are having a lot harder time attracting the smaller titles, which is really what helped keep them keep them up. So they've got these big tent poles that they've got. But like I looked at Activision's release catalog, like I was like, so what did they even release other than Destiny 2 in the last couple of years? There's like nothing. They haven't done anything like they they did. Um, the the Spyro re-release is probably the next biggest title that they did this year. You know, they've they ever, nobody's using these publishing houses anymore. Yeah, I, I think that is spot on. I think that's one of the big things that's going on right now is um, now that basically you can self-publish media. And by the way, this is not this is not unique to the game industry. This is the exact same thing that the pub the like the book publishing or novel publishing and the music industry is going through or, or has been going through or gone through, if you will, um, the realization that you can effectively conduct the publishing aspect more or less on your own in-house in a lot of different ways, as long as there is a platform that uh, folks can receive your goods. Uh, and it doesn't mean that they got to go to a Toys R Us or a Target or whatever and buy a box to do it. And that was really the big thing that publishing houses brought to the table was the, the ability to physically produce a game. It wasn't like, not the actual game itself, but the copies of the game, which were actually sold. And that is fundamentally not what has to occur anymore. Uh, 
And, and in fact, you you know, frankly, if you go right now to a game store, to GameStop, and you buy a brand new title, there is a very good chance that there will not be a disc in that box. It will be a game code. And that's, I mean, I did that just the other day. I literally went out and picked up a, a copy of, of a game for my son, and there is no disc in it. There's no manual in it. There's nothing but a card with a code. That's it. I, I just want to communicate how intensely frustrating it is to buy a physical copy, have it shipped to you, and for it to have a code in it. And and what's great is that it's usually cheaper to buy it that way than to buy the digital code outright. Yes, which is crazy. But but that that is the whole you know. But th that's really the crux of what you were just talking about, though. Uh, so the industry's changed, and what is what it makes you wonder, and I think this is what a lot of studios are really wondering, what exactly is the purpose of an Activision? If what they do really is get inside your business, um, now they do pro provide capital, particularly upfront as you start the process, but what, what really is their role in your business model anymore? That is a very hard thing to, to figure out, and I think that is what... Um, you know, ultimately, you know, you see coming out of Bungie right now is like, hey, well, one, they, they do have the wherewithal that they can that they can do a lot of things. I mean, that that's a fairly accomplished studio, been around a long time, and they do have other partners than Activision. In fact, they got a huge chunk of cash earlier this year to start a a non Destiny IP, uh, which you know a lot of people tend to forget, but they got a massive infusion of cash on that one. So there's there's a lot of other things going. On. I, I think ultimately they're going to be their own publisher. So it makes you kind of wonder what's their launcher platform? Are they going to have their own launcher or how's that going to go? So that's kind of, you know, as we've pointed out, that's sort of the, the topic du jour now and how do you start your own launcher? But overall, I think from a business model, this is, it's fascinating just to see how this goes. And I think it, it is uh, the way that you're going to see a lot of other companies are going to start wondering, do they really need to get involved with the EAs and Activisions of the world uh, if there's any way they can swing it without doing it? And uh, you, you just mentioned uh, uh, that they, they're working on another IP. A and this was a really interesting announcement, too, to come out because this name just keeps coming up this year or, or last year, as the case is, um, since it's like barely into January, is that uh, I, I so the other thing that they announced is that they have uh, that NetEase has uh, fronted them a hundred million dollars to build a game. Yep. Now, It'll what does NetEase mostly make, though? Uh, well, NetEase mostly makes mobile, but bear in mind, NetEase is now also, uh, just to, to remind you some of the other places it's cropped up, they are doing the, the mobile game for, for Diablo. They are also working on some of CCP's games. They're the publisher of uh, the new, the Chinese version of EVE Online itself. Um, I mean, they've they've popped up in a lot of places lately. And they're not developing the game, they're giving money to Bungie to develop the game. So that, I, I don't think they're developing a mobile game so much as that NetEase is really looking to, to move heavily into investing in these, these more Western game developers. Yeah, I kind of tend to think you're right. Uh, but like I said, it wouldn't surprise me at some point if there's a Bungie flavor uh, or Bungie tied in, you know, uh, mobile game at some point. Cause but, I mean, we're, a lot of people scoff at it and, you know, gamers want to get all, all crazy about it, you know, but the reality is that is a, 
a massive part of the market share globally, particularly in Asia. So like I said, it'd be interesting to see what's happening, but it sounds like, you know, as they said, guardians make their own fate. And that was a kind of a, uh, a much, much upvoted uh, tweet that, uh, that I think Luke Smith put out from Bungie. So there's, there, there's a lot in this. Um, now I, I would like to kind of slide over and I'm just kind of curious what, you know, we can take a look at obviously destiny aside, but like if you kind of extrapolate it out to kind of a, a any kind of studio that has been fairly successful, what might be the the ups and downs of a move like this? Like, what does this do for you creatively, um, and in other ways? Like, how how could the average player over the next year or two see the impacts of a move like this? I mean, the biggest thing that comes to mind is that you're no longer and having to answer to typically investors or a, you know a board of directors. It's more of you're answering to your customers, both internal and external. And can you just make enough money to keep going? rather than you know that expectation to have ongoing profits which usually pushes some of these more you know scummy microtransaction deals that we see so i think in in that regard it allows you to potentially offer a better experience that's not as money grabby to your customers and you know maybe allow people to have more creative freedom to to do things they want rather than what's going to make the absolute most money you know in a given day yeah, no, I think there's a, there's a, you know, from the fan base, at least in Destiny, what you see is this massive, this is going to fix everything in the game, Activision will quit messing up the game. Well, I mean, you know, one, I'm a big Bungie fan, have been for a long time, but don't forget, there's a lot of in-game choices that are made by Bungie that people don't like, which has created some problems. Um, you can argue that a lot of the microtransaction activity and a lot of the other things that drove some of this might be in response to Activision. I think that's a very fair statement. Um, but I, I, I suspect, and I might be wrong, but I suspect that what this will translate into is perhaps content maybe coming out a little slower. I don't know if this means they're going to go back to more of the, uh, the traditional model where there's a big paid DLC like a couple times a year. But it's definitely going to change their monetization model. Uh, and I think it means that they're going to have to take more time in between contact, content slash games, which will mean you know, you're going to have these big, you know, probably these peaks and valleys of, of keeping your game alive. I, I think. Uh, I think that's certainly one of the possible things that you're going to see out of a game like Destiny, where it's very much a live service game and designed to, to kind of have legs on it. Uh, interesting choice here is does this mean that they're going to, you know, just kind of keep adding on to Destiny 2 a little bit longer, or maybe it just really does go into kind of a drought and this sort of uh, heartbeat level content goes in in order for them to make Destiny 3? Who, who knows? Um, it, it is it is a stone fact, though, that they are already working on Destiny 3 in some capacity. Um, not sure what that means or how, you know, they're probably not far into it, but that they are in fact actually working on it. that was pretty well confirmed earlier in the year um so i think what we're going to see is a is an impact on the cadence or how fast they can put out content i bet um I, i'm just guessing because the other things you got to remember uh two key partner studios with with bungie vicarious visions and high moon they contribute a lot to uh, to Destiny in terms of either raw like whole almost whole cloth DLCs 
or different components, and they they generally do really good work, like like e- exceptional work, uh, because that's one of the reasons they were able to stagger their releases. Is Bungie proper or Bungie Core will work on the base game, and then they will farm components out or even some of the entire small DLCs out to High Moon and Vicarious Visions. Like you may have them working on the strikes for one of the, you know, one of the studios will work on all the strikes for the upcoming DLC. Another one is working on a lot of different art assets, things like that. I mean, so there's, that's one of the things that's allowed them to have content that rolls out in the way that they do over the course of the year. And it makes you wonder, are they going to have the capability to do that? Or will they have a good enough relationship with Activision where they can't um, sublet, you know, some of those activities to those type of studios uh, still. So that I'd be very fascinated just from a business sense, you know, how does this work and how does it impact the game player, uh, you know, the average player over the course of a given year, so to speak. That's that to me is a really fascinating kind of pitch to this. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway probably from that is that Bungie had a contractual obligation to Activision to produce a new, destiny titled game every so like three years i think it was i think it was i think they said up to four main title games with you know dlcs baked in i think that agreement changed a little bit with destiny one they kind of extended that out a bit further um when they did uh the the iron banner expansion was that what was that one called the iron wolf one i forget um but i I think like what you're saying jay is I'm, i'm not sure if Content drops will be slower per se, but I think we'll definitely see a bigger delay for Destiny 3 than what was probably originally planned under Activision's watch. Um, simply because I, I, I generally, I mean, of course, it's all kind of behind closed doors, but when you get the reporting on this, a lot of it is is that these these mainline titles are often restarted or rushed to, to meet these hard deadlines that they were required to meet. And as a result, a lot of that work was, was very rushed and incomplete and it wasn't really where they wanted to get it. I think at this point, you know, they can keep obviously, you know, but Bungie is still a pretty hefty studio. I think they can still, like you said, make use of their assets or outsource, you know, adding more content on to keep destiny Two rolling while they really take their time and make destiny three kind of be, you know, the ultimate experience they want. And, and they very well might stick with that one and like build that that architecture for like the final Destiny game and then build on top of that moving forward. But I don't think that Destiny 2 will just be infinitely expanded. I don't think the game is quite structured the way they want it to be. And unless they're going to kind of really rework some, some core stuff of the game, I, I suspect they'll still release a Destiny 3, but it's going to be probably quite a ways out from what was originally planned. I I just I suspect that you'll see Destiny Two itself come to a close very very quickly in terms of the fact that nobody's going to want to share the revenue between the two companies and and you know Activision's obviously very much the the publisher role for Destiny Two um, so they're gonna they're gonna get a cut of everything that's in there and I I think if Activision Two if Activision Studios are making the DLC they're not going to want to put in a lot of their resources to something that they're going to have to share the profits with Bungie for. Um, so yeah. And I, I definitely see what you're saying. There's probably going to be a slower release cadence on, on destiny three and especially content for it. Yeah. Well, actually interesting thing about that one is uh, there's, they've already, they have announced that there's going to be no uh, effective change to what's already been announced at least through September. 
you know, in terms of their roadmap that they have, that all those things are going to happen, which means that, you know, a lot of those are things already well in the works is, is really what that means. Now, what I think the big question is what happens in September, the September, October release, which is traditionally, that is when the big, huge, meaty, super DLC, you know, comes out for Destiny. That is their annual sort of cadence that they have. And I think that is really the real question. What happens at that point? And I, I you know, I think Zell might be, I tend to lean where he's at on this one is that I'm not sure what we're going to see out of this. Now, having watched this in another another game that we all know and love, I, I could see a scenario where keeping Destiny 2 basically on heartbeat level with minor updates here and there just to kind of keep it warm um, and people interested, but then really not releasing D3 until there's a next-gen console, like that being a, re- you know, a, a release game for a next-gen console, that makes an incredible amount of sense to me. Um, it, it is a longer, slower burn, but it gives them more time probably to, to get the game in a spot where they want it. Um, it sort of removes some pressure from them. Now the trick is though they got to figure out how to make money in the, in the interim. And that is the hard part. You know, I think that's, I think that's the rub they're going to have is how do they create cash flow to pay, you know, the, the you know, five, 500 developers they have or whatever, whatever that number is making all these games and paying for if they're bringing an outside talent to do it. Um, they've got to survive that long. So that's where you, you have the, you've got to, I think that's where the business rub is. And it, but I can't imagine they don't have a plan for that. To be honest with you, you don't make a decision like this and nor is this something you just jump to. Um, it, it would also not surprise me, you know, Activision, I, I think they count pennies as well as anybody in the game market. Uh, you can, and by the way, I don't, that's not necessarily a compliment. But I suspect that they are as good at doing that as anybody out there. Uh, and as long as they can make money off Destiny, they probably will. And by all accounts, I mean, this does not sound like a like a bloody divorce. You know, this sounds like this is a Activision's like, look, we're not making enough money off this. And Bungie's like, and we want more freedom. And they seem to be having a fairly amicable split. So it would not surprise me if whatever arrangement that they're striking basically keeps things basically keeps things kind of fair and square throughout the lifespan or some defined lifespan of destiny too anyway yeah i'm I'm, it's gonna be very interesting to see how this plays out i mean it's good that they're maintaining their current plans for the annual pass i mean for the most part i've I think that the, the model for the annual pass is it, it works well. It's it's little trickle of, of content kind of coming out over a long period of time, and and you've got a lot of mixed reception on that. But personally, I think I think it's a pretty good model. Um, it it's a pseudo. We've talked about this before. It's kind of like a pseudo annual or you know monthly fee basically to get your your content in bits. And obviously, Bungie is experimenting with how they communicate and how they roll this out. And they're you know, no one gets it right the first time, right? It's they've had some stumbles, obviously, but I think the model itself isn't innately flawed. I think they could probably, if you know, depending on where their numbers are, maintain with this model for quite a while. But I think in terms of Destiny Three as like a launch title on PS Five or Xbox, whatever, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, you're it, it's always good to kind of have that when you're able to be a launch title for a new console, that's great for, you know, console developers as well as, is the game publisher, game developers. So, 
you know that that's that seems reasonable and especially since we're looking at you know ps5 very unlikely this year but i'm guessing you know mid to late 2020 is, is probably reasonable that time frame looks about right where they could probably do you know a second annual pass um or maybe you know maybe a forsaken scale thing but I, even then if they just kind of kept going along with kind of just tacking on bits to the end to the end game they could probably maintain that for a while i think i mean they'll they'll figure out the the details of how to do that a little bit better but for the most part i think it's a viable option just to kind of bide time until they can kind of get their get their ducks in a row for for destiny 3 on the ps5 i think another interesting to look at thing to look at is that Activision in like the last couple days has been reportedly in being investigated for fraud. And, I, and Livy, I think you, you looked a little bit more into the company that actually released the statement and is the one that's investigating them. Could you tell us about that? Uh, let's see if I have it. Oh, um, the investigation is being led by Pomerantz LLP. And that, I mean, that means nothing up front, but um, they're known for specializing in corporate functionality, securities, and antitrust class litigation. And so, you know, what comes to my mind is cooking books and skimming. I mean, I, I'm just making an assumption based on who's who, who they've dealt with in the past. But I mean, until more news comes out, we can't, I can't really, you know, do my deep digging that I like to do. Yeah, I, I would say again, uh, like there, there is, uh, there's no lack of bad news for big publishers <laughs> this year. Um, so I, like, I, I'm interested to see how this kind of plays out as we all are, I guess. Uh, and, and by the way, not just because I'm a Destiny fan, but like I'm interested to see how this plays out for other studios. And I'm going to bet you any amount of money that none of us are really betting that a lot of studios are watching this with with great interest yeah the timing on all of this is is very curious to see i mean like i mentioned before it's it's unusual for a developer to maintain the rights to their ip so that in itself is strange and then having this news regarding activision coming out like literally 48 hours later it's very interesting to see what's going on i would love to get more information on you know what is going on behind you know activision's doors and, and what's what's going on with their legal issues and what kind of conversations were had with bungie but you know i, I and you kind of mentioned it earlier jay i think that people are probably jumping the gun a, a, a bit much and thinking oh well all of destiny's problems will be solved now because activision is gone and i think that's well i appreciate the the excitement it's it's probably a little too optimistic i think that there will still be problems of course but you know overall i think it's still safe to say that this will most likely be a positive for bungie and the games that they they, they work on including destiny 2 and, and the franchise as a whole so you know i i'm seeing it as a positive um but again we won't really know until things actually happen and more information comes out so you know, Bungie is saying there's lots of changes coming and we're excited to talk about it. But, you know, until that actually is, is released, it's it's mostly speculation and, and wishful thinking. So we'll, of course, be covering this closely because it's very interesting, but uh, we'll have to wait until we know more. Yep. No, I think you're I think you're spot on, man. So, uh, I, I mean, that's definitely the that's definitely the, the big news of the week, I, I would say, in terms of uh, the game biz in terms of what do we got going on uh anybody else had anything um, yeah yeah i got a, i got a few things yeah hit it up man 
Uh, so the first uh, thing I'm going to drag us back to is uh, Epic Games and their the, Ooh, the yeah. Epic Games Store. Um, there's some big news on that. I'm not sure how much. Uh, I don't think you guys have talked about it before. Uh, but one of the biggest uh, bits of news is the uh, Tom Clancy's The Division Two um, has uh, announced that they are going to the Ubisoft is going to release on UPlay, which is their own platform, of course, and the Epic Games Store. This will be their first major release and probably probably really the first AAA title to say we're going to skip Steam on PC and go for uh, go for Epic Games with the, you know, 18 percent less uh, store tax they have to pay. So that's a that's a really big release to go um, and, and decide to skip Steam on on the PC space. Um, and then the other interesting news that came out this week as well is there was a big spat that a company... There's this company called Improbable. They make a platform called Spatial OS, which is designed for making, um, like, uh, cloud-based MMO games. And one of their big selling points, they work with any game engine. You use it with Unreal, you can use it with Unity, whatever. And I guess they had a business spat with Unity, and Unity took the step of pulling their developer keys so that they cannot use uh, Unity's game engine. That's like tick their ball and go home. Yeah, they they went real real heavy on this, and as soon as Improbable came out about the blog post about what happened, within twenty four hours they had already uh, they had made an arrangement between them and the Epic CEO to launch a like twenty five million dollar fund to give out resources for people to switch away from Unity. Um, so. I've, so obviously Epic's like giving away free developer licenses and stuff like that to get people switched over from Unreal. But it was just one of those ways they really capitalized on the immediate sense that, you know, Unity had a, they changed their terms of service to try and lock this company out. They try, you know, they pulled this company's developer keys and then their biggest competitor turned around and said, we'll, we will roll out the red carpet with resources to switch you over to Unreal. Um, which is 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 huge, and I think Epic is doing a really good job just capitalizing on all these little things right now in a very instant sense. Like, I want to say the blog came out at 10 a.m. and the fund partnership announced with Epic was like 8 p.m. Yeah, the same day. I, I would tell you that there's a couple companies out there that are absolutely killing it right now. Epic is one of them, and, and to be honest with you, the because of the fact that they're they're basically you know, every time like the janitor of Epic walks in the building, somebody hits him in the face with a double bat, duffel bag of money. That's that allows them the capability to to pull these these moves like this. But they're using that very well. They're not being crazy about it, and, and they're not they are not making bad choices. They are definitely um, using their fluid the, the flexible am- amount of cash that they have as an absolute market force advantage right now. And I, I, I am interested to see how the, the Epic launcher system is going to work, you know, I mean, because they're, they're snagging big titles and they are making it very attractive to come, to come hang out with them right now. And they're, they're giving away, like they're, they're not doing bad on the giveaways to get the user side into it. Cause obviously they're pulling devs, 18% increased profits will pull devs. That's not hard to do oh, yeah, 100%. when you're offering that kind of money. Um, but the challenge is, is to get users over because, especially in the PC space, when you ask someone where their game library is, it's really their Steam library, you know? 
and, and there's there's no and so they they have to do, get people away from that where people don't think well all my other games are already in steam and so part of it's this exclusives but part of it is that they're giving away free games so that you start to have an epic library in addition to just a steam library and so they gave away um uh in the past month they gave away both subnautica and super meat boy to anybody who logged into the epics website and clicked the button um currently uh from january 10th through the 24th they're giving away a game called what remains of edith finch which uh is some well, sort of story you. game yeah well, um i've i've heard yeah i looked at the reviews and I, it's extremely positive uh and then from january 24th to february 7th they're giving away the jackbox party pack which uh obviously is headlined with you don't know jack and has a couple other uh you know party games in it pretty sure yeah, no, I tell you, so they're, they are making some huge moves, and I I am, for one, very interested to see how this is going to, again, like many things tonight, I'm interested to see how this is going to end up, but right now, Epic is, you know, no pun intended, lighting, you know, they're, they're writing their own ticket on everything, mostly because they have the capability to, and, and again, they're not making bad choices. So I, I think I, I have not seen them make a move yet that is pro, that looks like that, has a significant backfire capability in it. To be honest with you, if I'm Fortnite and I am making the kind of money Fortnite is and I've got the kind of uh, market share power that they do, my own launcher makes a hell of a lot of sense. Like that, there's no, I don't see a big downside on that. Uh, I, and really what they're they're doing is they're aiming at Steam. And, and the reality is, while you're right, it's really about where your game library is. A lot of people have been wanting a significant contender to, to steam for a while and there's several other launchers you know like you know games done good or you know you know there, there's all kind of you're thinking of good old games um, yeah good old games i'm sorry discord has a game library twitch has a game library um you know they're they're out there but they don't have they haven't succeeded in pulling the kind of draw and i think that the amount of money that epic can put forward the fact that everybody who plays fortnite which is nearly everybody already has it installed Etc. is really, really giving them a, a strong leg up on, on the littler guys. Well, and they also just, uh, in the last couple of days, they basically copied Steam's refund policy as well for their store, where if you have the game for less than two weeks and have played less than two hours, you just get a get the full refund, no, no questions asked. So that's another very appealing thing where they're pretty much taking Steam's model as best they can and just offering, you know, a, a cheaper price point for developers. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not as heavy of a PC game player as a lot of people, but this whole quote-unquote controversy around these exclusives is just baffling to me, where it's like, you know, like, well, why can't they put it on both? It's like, why would they split their sales between the store that's going to charge 30 and the store that's going to charge 18 when they can put all 12. of it on, or sorry, on 12, or for 12%, when they can make all of their sales for 12%? I mean, you have a point, Sal. You're going to have the people that refuse to switch over for some reason because, you know, it's so difficult to download Epic um which is free but the amount that they'll lose is not going to be comparable to the 18 percent they're saving on royalties to the the public to the to the platform like it's just there's there's no way they're going to lose more than 18 percent of players because of that so it's going to be a win for the developer if they do exclusively epic over you know mixing and matching from what it is now and it's it's interesting too as with the division two is is they are also selling you know is 
Ubisoft does have their own launcher and infrastructure, and they can sell their own games. And you can buy the Division Two straight through UPlay, but they but for that wider market share, they've always agreed to list on Steam. And what you get when you buy an Ubisoft title on Steam is you get a UPlay code, and when you launch the game on Steam, it launches UPlay to launch your game. And they've they've always said, you know. Clearly, it was worth it to them to have that wider market on Steam. And so them to say, yeah, we're still going to do that, but we're going to do it with Epic Games instead because it's not keeping 100%, but it's still better than Steam and we see what they're doing and we think that this is going to grow. That's a big That's a big thing because they've already said we're willing to take that 30% cut to make a, you know, to get the wider sales base, but them to still say we can actually part with that for, for Epic's offer. So it's very it's a very interesting um move there you know the other thing not to be lost on this you know epic is uh you know they are they have made it made it very clear that they continue that they are going to continue to update unreal and continue to make unreal a very you know relevant game engine for people and a very accessible game engine and again because they've got the funds they can certainly go out and get the talent pool to you know, continue to invest in what was originally and for a very long time, their core actual business function, which was producing a game engine. Um, and the fact that they're tying their game engine into their launcher, uh, you, you know, where they're incentivizing people to use both, to basically bundle in with both, that only further cements their, their capability to pull people in. Uh, so I, I think, I think they are in a phenomenal position and what I, I suspect, what I am very interested to watch, we've seen them flex their muscle a few times earlier this year when they were like, yeah, we're all about like cross play or something like that. And they, and there was not going to be a, a real meaty discussion on cross play until somebody like Fortnite stepped up to the plate and basically was willing to say, yeah, we're willing to take our ball and do something else with it. Um, I think that this is going to continue to push the envelope in terms of like when you have more bigger and better choices on where you can get games and how you can consume games um, and how people can publish games, you know, put games out. I I think this is going to get us closer and closer to having things, you know, like cross play, for example. Uh, I, I think, this has the potential to have a lot of dominoes teetering in a lot of different directions. Now we may not see it in the, you know, the next two, three years in terms of like big sweeping changes in game culture, but these are the kind of things that lead itself into the magnitude of changing how games are consumed and, you know, developed and consumed, frankly. Yeah. It's certainly going to make waves, I think. And it's, you know, it's obviously working with developers and it's, it's going to force a lot of change, which I think is great. You know, I mean, uh, like steam has been able to do what they've been doing for so long with the rates they've been going at because of their monopoly on the market, you know, when someone comes along and they're going to flex like this and, and, you know, put a, a significant, I mean, this isn't even just like a 30 to 25%. This is a very significant increase to profit margin for developers it's going to turn heads and it has. And I think that, you know, steam is going to have to to catch up and it's going to allow, you know, a little more interesting competition in the market, you know, I, and 
you know, like like Tazel's point, yeah, people have to, to transition over, but they will. You know, when it comes down to it, when if enough games come out that people really want, they're going to download Epic. They'll start to have an Epic game library, and that'll be the end of it. You know, it, and, it'll no longer be just my Steam collection. It'll be uh, yeah, you might have a couple different banks online on your computer, but you know, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. And if you're picking up, if you're logging in every two weeks, you're going to have 26 games by the end of 2019 in your in your Epic yeah. library without paying a dollar. So, yeah, I mean, it's even and, better and deal they're than... not they're not picking bad titles. Yeah, a- every title they've given out so far has been a much loved, highly rated title. Yeah, and I think that is see. So Steam, if you look at like the number of games they publish, I mean, I I, I saw the number about a week ago. Like the the number of games published, or like that went from early access to full game, some you know, some measure of that on Steam this last calendar year was uh, like nine thousand or something like that. It was crazy. Um, you can't even search Steam effectively, you know, just you know, because of how hodgepodge it is. Um, so, and and they definitely go with a shotgun approach. We will take anything, like anything at all. Uh, I, I think Epic is again, making really, really smart choices. Just like Zell said, they are lasering in on titles that will draw eyeballs and clicks, uh, directly. Like they are not fooling around with, you know, let me take, you know, Joe's FPS that he slapped together with a freeware copy of a, of a game, you know, uh, you know, of a game engine somewhere. They're actually going after targeted titles in my opinion yeah i think it's a pretty fair assessment it's uh they've, they're being very smart about it and they've you know it, it's it's gonna be a big deal you know it's, it's gonna really i think shake things up and, and they're playing this very well especially like with what was was talking about earlier with giving you know people funding to move away from unity because they've got the capital to do it you know it's it's very very smart and it, it's it's gonna work really well for them i think so i got one last item to 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 wrap this up and uh it is the uh just a little bit of paranoia for the back of your mind is uh any ever shared your your netflix password with somebody they're uh they're 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 working on a solution for that um i was reading this article it's about a company called cinemedia uh and they have this new product called the credential sharing insight and it is uh, it uses artificial intelligence because, you know, if you want to sell a product today, y- y- you have to throw AI in. It doesn't have to be good AI. You just have to be able to put those two letters somewhere on the sales sheet and people buy it. But so the credential sharing insight is uh, designed to produce a score suggesting how likely it is that a given user account is sharing their password with other people based on when the times and locations that it's used so like a really obvious case would be if you know sometimes it's being watched in california and then it's being watched in new york and then it's back in california again like within the same day you know that would that would be pretty likely that somebody isn't flying back and forth to watch tv um so uh they haven't said who's testing this yet but I, I guess this company does have AT&T, Comcast, Disney, Verizon, and Sky as customers. So um, there's a significant likelihood that, that some big companies will, uh, will start watching to see how likely uh, it is that a given user account is shared. Um, 
which is is an interesting case. And I guess the the article says that their their recommendation is less that they you know ban accounts with it, but more that they try and use it as a way to upsell people. So you know maybe you get pushed to one of those multi-screen accounts that cost a you know an extra dollar or two a month. So uh, yeah, I thought this was a an interesting bit of news. Sounds interesting. I mean. I think this kind of behavioral analytics and uh, I will dare to say machine learning has kind of been, I can see it being a suggestion like, hey, we noticed you're using more screens at one time. Maybe you should upgrade to, you know what I mean? And that's what the article suggesting that they kind of are, are, would, would want p- companies to use this for. But, you know, like once you start talking about companies like AT&T, Comcast and Verizon doing things, they're usually not the most subtle in how they, they approach these sorts of things. Right. When you get a random charge and go, why was I charged for this big package? Well, we notice you're using multiple. <laughs> Just like Cox did out here. Just saying. Well, I mean, I, it, I feel as though I have been painted into a corner of doing this devil's advocate thing. But um, there, there's a, I, I would say, there's also a fair expectation of uh, that they should be able to kind of defend their service a little bit too. But, you know, that that's just my thought on it. You know, I mean, they, there's probably ways, ways that, like I said, it's probably a fairly ham handed thing that they're, they, that they will likely attempt based on that information. But the flip side is, you know, they want to make sure that you are getting what you paid for and not necessarily more, which is, not much more than any other business under any other circumstance would do either. Oh, I, right. I, I'd agree. That's fair. And I'm on the data side too. And it's more of, it may not be fully negative. Maybe they'll use the behavioral, you know, analysis that they get or whatever is a way to better their services. So that people do buy the bigger packages. I will tell you that uh, one thing that I, I just haven't seen anyone do and, and, if someone's listening and works for like a streaming video company, just make this happen. I'll pay you. Is I can, like they someone needs to have a service with a feature that um, like say Netflix, where and maybe you need two Netflix accounts for this, but where you can like decide, hey, I want to watch a movie with someone long distance and have it automatically handle syncing up pause and play and doing uh, and and a voice chat connection between the two people watching. Well, that should yeah. just that should just be a thing you can do. I mean, what's your? What's your I feel like Zell's setting something up here for us to all watch something together. Uh, That'd be hilarious, but we could, but no, I would. But here's the thing, like, like that's basically. I mean, the PlayStation Game Share will do that. Like, you don't have to own the game, but I can share it with you for co-op if it's a co-op game, and you can play with me, and we can be in party. So what you're really describing is is a function very similar to what PlayStation. And I, I don't know, but I suspect Xbox could probably do now, uh, but, but doing it, it through a movie that, service. Right. Yeah. To be able to do that with, with, with movies, because um, that is definitely something that uh, the, you know, the, the long distance relationship type category or, or just friends is to, you know, watch movies by literally being on Skype and going, okay, count down when you're going to hit play, you know, and that sort of stuff. There's a whole untapped market there, I think, to, to actually create a product that does that for you. We basically need to have it like implemented and ready to go by the time the Sonic the Hedgehog live action movie comes out. So we can all like movie share that together and just do this mystery science theater 3000 oh. shit talk for like two hours. It would be fantastic. Oh, my God. 
I mean, I mean, that would actually what would probably spawn from it is a lot of like, you know, I mean, the people do it already, but like you would make it more mainstream. Where there would be a lot of stream, want, streams on that. Oh yeah, yeah. Watching movies as a stream, and you can even say like, okay, like we're not going to show the film on screen, so we're not breaking copyright. But if you got your copy, here's the timestamp we're starting at. You know, you hit play. You can listen to our commentary while you watch. You know, it would it would be fantastic. Uh, actually, what it would really be, I, I think, from a YouTube uh, policy standpoint you could categorize it as reaction video. Uh, and y- y- again, I-, I suspect that there's that at some point somebody would want to figure out how to crack down on that, but that's basically what, I, you know, I mean, I know if, if I were to try to put that on, on YouTube, that's how I, I would categorize it as a reaction video. And there's some very clear, very acceptable ways of how you, um, you know, how, how you get around copyright uh, infringement pieces when you do those. Uh, and like I said, I think Zell's on something. This, this has the potential to be hilarious. Uh, and, and frankly, a neat little business model for people that, that do online content. Uh, but I, I agree that would be, a, that'd be a pretty cool, a pretty cool venue for something like Netflix to work on. No, I think that's, that's really smart. And it's, it's something I've always thought about and I've, I've done it before Zell where, you know, I'm, I'm watching a show or a movie with someone we're like on chat, okay, three, two, one hit play. But if you could streamline that, that'd be popular. I think people would love it. I would certainly use it. All right, I got one more more news item. I just I just thought of it. You guys haven't talked about it. It's not new. Go for it. Um, so uh, the other thing that is is kind of sad news I'm going to throw out there is uh you know Pr- Prima Games, right? What do they make? Uh, the guides. Yeah. Like the the yeah. strategy yeah. guides. Oh, okay, okay. And and they actually uh, several years back they bought Brady Games, which was the second largest one. So so Prima Games was like the maker of, of game strategy guides. Uh, they're shutting down in March. Really? <laughs> they are. And uh, yeah, so they're they're done for. And um, one of the interesting things that uh, I'm actually still waiting. I'm I'm kind of following this this news is you know is a lot of the more recent. Uh, games you could either buy the game the guide online as a digital thing and then view it with the app or the website um but then even if you bought the physical copies they would have the code for the digital copy of the guide um and they're shutting their site down and so they haven't actually announced yet what they're going to do with those guides because you know you know if someone has a physical copy okay but some people bought the you know digital guides and that's how they purchase them and they're just going to disappear so they haven't they they they've said they're kind of working they're trying to work on something a solution yet um but they haven't decided or announced what they're going to do uh, in terms of whether or not they'll let you i don't know download a pdf file or something but um that is that is one of those uh, things that's changed uh recently is is that uh, primate games is coming to an end that's pretty like once you said that once I clued in I was like man I I have used their stuff for a long time that's uh that's kind of surprising I, I mean I I can only imagine that that is in fairly direct response to the fact that I can Google any game any level anything and as long as it's been out on the on in the in the wild for twenty four hours I could probably find it uh, so right pretty much you know does away with the need to go buy the uh, you know, 300 page, you know, guide to the 27 levels of, you know, whatever game you, you just bought. And if you've had that experience where you've looked in the guide and been like, I still don't know where this is. You're trying to explain it, but it doesn't make any sense to me. And now you just go to YouTube 
and you can watch someone solve it. And they actually, um, Prima Games has tried to to mitigate that as well. Like um, some of their newer guides have like uh, um, like a QR code that'll link you to to walk through video of whatever you're looking at in the guide. Um, that sort of stuff is is something they've tried to tackle. But again, it's one of those things like it's so much of this content is is um, community made for free that it's a it's a hard sell for a company uh, built on on building strategy guides. And so, uh, yeah, all, all their offices are being shut down and uh, everything's being closed up. Um, I mean, I will say what one of the things that I really love about about these strategy guides, and I, I think to some degree they've they've kind of been supplanted um, is by uh, is the art book. Um, yeah, because really to me, the coolest thing about a strategy guide wasn't the, this is how you beat the game, but was the amount of additional content and art and, and explanation. I, I mean, like if thinking back to like Ocarina of Time, you actually didn't necessarily know what creatures were called. Like you'd fight them, but nothing in the game would tell you what they were called. But then in the strategy guide, you would see the name, you know, a little backstory about what this creature really is, maybe some, you know, some of the concept art for it. And, and so there was a really nice presentation of actually additional information that the game didn't provide. Um, and so that's really what I like from them. And I th and I've bought guides just to have that, not to use the actual strategies per se. Um so I, I I know there are a couple other companies that do them now, um, smaller companies, but uh, I, I hope that we don't see the format completely go away. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, I, and I, I think you are onto it. I think the thing that I got the most out of it was sort of the background of it. It was almost like a little bit of a, you know, art book, lore book kind of thing. You, If it was really done well. Brady Games, I think, was particularly good at that, if I remember right. Um, and that was often a way that the publisher could get out more information about their game. And, and again, this is back in the day when things were like cartridge disc and not, you didn't have like websites that you could go to or not, certainly not readily and get a lot of neat background stuff that the, the game design slash writing team had put together, you know, in terms of the narrative, you know, there, there's all that little kind of stuff that, you know, this was a means that even even the game developer, or the publisher could use to to kind of tell people more about their game. And it was sort of just the way it was done. And and now that's pretty much all done organically through digital means. That's all I got. I'm out. OK, well, anything else? Anyone else? Anything? Nothing from my little corner. No. Nope, OK, we'll go into some shout outs then. So. My shout out for this week goes to a well. First of all, I have to I have to set it up. There was a game that I played like God like ten years ago, like called Roller Coaster Tycoon. It was like a sprite two D based game. Um, love the game. I played the hell out of it. And there is someone who goes by the name of Marcel Vos on online, and he basically made the longest possible roller coaster you can make in that game and by longest i mean it takes 12 years for someone in the game to actually like get through the whole ride um yeah it basically he, he, he 
they showed the picture of like him like backing up the entire like maximum largest size park you can make, and the entire thing is nothing but tracks, and it's like roller coaster hell of of sitting in a train car for twelve years straight. Um, just a silly shout out, but I thought it was hilarious. I, I love that game and, and played a ton of it when I was a kid. So good stuff. All right, Zell, you're up. I just did like twenty minutes of news items, man. <sighs> shout out to Prima Games. There you go. Rip. There you go. All right, Jay. Shout out to Zell. This is uh, he is not dead, and this is the most he's spoken in an episode collectively in the last two years. That's it, actually probably accurate. He he did pretty well when it was just me and him doing a show, but that was kind of more of necessity than 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 willingness. That was probably survival. <laughs> All right, Livy, you're up. My shout out goes to uh, Dante, which is Pokey's brother, for killing a fly that was terrorizing my five-year-old um for some reason he's afraid of anything with wings but he loves spiders um and i kind of joked with dante to go up and go kill it and he comes back down with it in his hand <laughs> so shout out to him because i wasn't going up to deal with that mess like there's a karate kid style he comes down with this dead fly in his palm i'm like now you are ready you are hero mode <laughs> <laughs> all right good stuff guys well i want to thank everyone for tuning in uh and you know as usual if you want to be on the show if you want to hit us up for any topics you want us to cover games you want us to play head over to biomass.com and let us know but that being said hope you have a safe week and we'll see you next time